people. Hi, Hava. Good morning, Starshine. It's not morning at all, but it's always morning in another sense. Uh, I mean, I'm not wearing any pants, so... So, it's morning somewhere. Somebody somewhere is morning. I hate mornings, but I love breakfast. But I also enjoy mornings. I have recently realized a paradox of my boyfriend and I's relationship. We're both sort of morning people, but in incompatible ways. I get up very quickly. I, like, get out of bed immediately. But... I'm grumpy for quite a while after I wake up and I need like quiet and coffee and like peace to reach a level where I'm ready to engage. He is so fucking hard to wake up, sleeps like a stone, just like impossible to get out of bed in the morning. The instant he is up, he is talking and just like ready to go a mile a minute. It's not a great combination, Uh, not a great matching of traits in that department. You just have to tell him to shut up. Just gotta tell him to uh, shut up. I know. No, I don't. It's okay. It's just, that's just life. That's just love, baby. Sometimes you're different. Sometimes you're two different people, it turns out. Yeah, sometimes you're different from the person, you you know, you do the whole, yeah. you know, partnership thing with. It's true. Michael. Yes. Hi, how are you? Oh, well. Pantsless. As the day you were born. Pantsless as the day I was born. Puppy by my side. I had a slice of leftover pizza. So <laughs> Great. It's a fine day. It's a fine, fine day. That's beautiful. What more could a person want? Well, how, how are you, Hava? Baruch Hashem. I'm doing pretty well today. I thought I was going to be stressed out today because of how busy I am, but I've actually been chilling within the busyness. So that's good. I washed a mountain of dishes. Yeah, I keep trying to think of like interesting things happening in my life. I mean, you know, like uh, I Talmud and Judaism is happening all the time, but like everyone knows that's happening. It's the subject of this podcast. Obviously, that is always a part of Hi, How Am I? Well, something that's been happening for both of us is we've been putting out all these interviews and weird kind of special one-off episodes. It's true. We told you all at the beginning of the year that we were going to be making low-effort minisodes while we worked on Temple OS in the background, and then we instead unleashed one of our greatest months of content ever. I know. Yeah, it's been a little wild. We're just going to be doing low-effort things like interviewing a former candidate for president. You know, the kind of stuff we all do. Yeah, and like famous scholars and stuff like that. Philosophresses. Speaking of famous scholars, we're going to make a bonus episode later this month. Oh yeah, that's right. For all you patrons out there, unpacking our interview with the illustrious Martha Nussbaum. Yeah, there's nothing crazy to unpack. There's nothing too nuts, but yeah, well, we're going to talk about it. It'll be fun. And we also had Sam on. I mean, Sam is a, is a famous scholar in my world. I forgot because I wasn't there to record, so it doesn't exist to me. It was great. It was about the temple. You should go listen to it if you haven't. Uh, yeah. I don't know if who that's directed at. You listeners or Hava? <laughs> Just everyone out there. The world. But So, no, <sighs> it's good. We're returning to our roots this episode. Yeah. I've really been realizing how much podcast we've made recently. I was speaking with a student yesterday, and they were like, oh, I finally started listening to your podcast. I'm going through the backlog. I'm in the 40s. I'm still in the, like, it's still 2020 in your podcast. Oh, my God. And I was like, that's wild. Yeah, it's a little strange. We've been almost at it for three years. Wait, more? What? 
No, I think two, almost three. Well, each episode number is a week. Oh, right. You're right. I think we have been at it for th- three and four. more, three and change. No, from from January 2020 to January. Oh, no, you're right. Okay. Anyway, time and math obviously is not my strong suit. Three and change years. Oh, three and change. <sighs> and we're still doing pretty good, I think. I, still, I think we're doing good. When I think about three and a half years and I think about what I used to be able to learn and accomplish in three and a half years, personally, I think the pot is doing great. But I feel like... I should like know more Hebrew. I should know more. Mm, I should be. I, see. I should have longer sideburns. You know, I, whatever. I need to like. <laughs> I feel like I'm still the schmuck I was at the beginning, you know? But you're so different, as I've told you many times. I think listeners, longtime listeners of the show, can attest to Michael's growth as a scholar. Mm, maybe. Shh, just maybe. accept it. I definitely put a pin in my own learning of Hebrew. Yeah. Talmud is a lifelong pursuit, you know? Mm-hmm. You're just sort of in relationship with it forever now. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. That's true. It's like, even if I were to like abandon everything today, I will forever have like a weird relationship. Right. It's like being married. Yeah. It's like now if I leave, it's like an estranged parent. That, yeah. that would be the relationship. I guess it's a warning to all of you out there. Don't <laughs> well, if you're listening to this episode, it's already too late. Yeah, commitment is bad. Don't don't learn things. Um. Yep, that's the message of this show. So all that's just to say, in my experience, having had plenty of my own ups and downs with Talmud, sometimes you're absorbing a lot of information. Sometimes it feels like you're absorbing nothing. But as long as there's like a single grain of Talmud still within you then eventually like the fire will be rekindled so mm. you can just trust the process mm, okay trust in the process yes and the process today yep 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 excellent segue hava yeah um <laughs> speaking of the process today we are turning to a listener question yes we have all your questions in a bag and we look through them and we still make episodes about them turning to a listener question which had many parts. We're just going to address one part of it today. A listener asked us, speaking of paying rabbis, and if you're interested in the topic and ever have space for an episode or even mention, it'd be cool if you could explain about the passage about the end of the world on Sanhedrin 97a. Something about sages prostituting their knowledge, I've heard. IDK. So today we are turning to the illustrious doff of Sanhedrin 97a to look at this passage that our listener was talking about, and I'll just start us out by reading it, and we'll we'll break it down as we go. It was taught in a Brita that Rabbi Yehuda says, during the generation that the son of David comes, the hall of the assembly of the sages will be appointed for harlotry, and the Galilee will be destroyed, and the Gavlan will be desolate, and the residents of the border who flee the neighboring Gentiles will circulate from city to city and receive no sympathy. The wisdom of the scholars will diminish and sin-fearing people will be despised. And the face of the generation will be like the face of a dog in its impudence and shamelessness. And the truth will be lacking as it is stated, and the truth is lacking and he who departs from evil is negated. Isaiah 59:15. So this whole doff is about the times leading up to the Messiah. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think we've talked about the birth pangs of the Messiah before on the pod, but the general vibe is 
honestly, much like the Christian version of the apocalypse, stuff will be really shitty for a while before the Messiah gets here. And so now the sages are talking about like, shitty in what way? How will it be shitty? Yeah, yeah. They're getting into the specifics of what will be shitty. Yes. Exactly. And one of the things that will be shitty is that stuff will be really bad for scholars, it seems, and everyone will be having just a generally bad time in a variety of destroyed places which have been converted into harlicatessens. Harlicatessens. That's good. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) That's great. One, I just want to say, there's not that much that I want to dive into in this first paragraph. This is just the setup, but... I just really like the phrase and the face of the generation will be like the face of a dog and its impudence because I know exactly what dog face they're thinking of. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I can just picture my impudent little dog <laughs> being like, yeah, truth has been annihilated from the face of the world, bitch. And I'm like, why did you, t- why? Oh. And it's the same face he makes when he chews up some Im- something important to me. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. I did it, but what are you going to do about it? That's like you're reaching back in time and you're like, you may be 2,000 years older than me, but I know what you're talking about. Right. But we're connected by our mutual experience of dog's facial expressions. So a bunch of stuff is going to happen. And a big thing is this quote from a passage in Isaiah where we hear, and the truth is lacking and he who departs from evil is negated, is the translation in our Talmud version. So this verse, the Hebrew is, Truth has been lacking, is the word that will be relevant. And whoever turns away from evil is despoiled. God was displeased that there was no redress, no justice, no law, no mishpat. This is talking about the same period of time that the sages are talking about. So this term, ne'ederet, is what the sages go on to discuss next. So the Gemara says, what is the meaning of the phrase, and the truth is ne'ederet? The sages of the study hall of Rav said, This teaches that the truth will become like so many flocks, the word for which is adarim, and walk away. So the truth will do what adarim do, what flocks of little livestock do, and wander away during that time. Alternatively, the second part of this verse, and what is the meaning of the phrase, and he that departs from evil is negated, the sages of the hall of Rabbi Shaila said, anyone who deviates from evil is deemed insane by the people. These folks are just sort of drawing this terminology to talk about how exactly this is going to play about. It's interesting because the second drash that they're doing, anyone who deviates from evil is deemed insane by the people, feels very concrete. Like I could understand what it means for the culture of a place to have that as a norm. But the first version, the truth will become like a flock and walk away is like not that didn't clarify things for me at all that's another metaphor you're actually like incepting me deeper into the metaphors yep 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 the next passage could be like and what does it mean that the truth will walk away it means that the truth is lacking like you could just go back and forth forever oh yeah yeah you could get into a circle for sure but no the last sentence clears it up a little bit i did think that was a pretty interesting way of putting it emperor has no clothes right and so then we get into what is really the most fascinating part of this little passage which is an 
anecdote, which contains many things <laughs> worth remarking on. The Duff continues. Rava says, Initially, I would say that there is no truth anywhere in the world. There was a certain one of the sages, and Rav Tavut is his name, and some people say Rav Tavyome is his name, who was so honest that if they were to give him the entire world, he would not deviate from the truth in his statement. And he said to me, one time I happened to come to a certain place, and truth is its name, and its residents would not deviate from truth in their statements, and no person there would die prematurely. I married a woman among them, and I had two sons from her. One day, his wife was sitting and washing her hair on her head, and the neighbor came and knocked on the door, and he thought, it's not proper to tell the neighbor that my wife is bathing. And he said to the neighbor, she's not here. And since he deviated from the truth, his two sons died. And the people residing in that place came before him and said, what is the meaning of this? AKA, th these are the first premature deaths in our community ever. What the fuck? And he said to them, this was the nature of the incident, aka I told a little white lie instead of saying that my wife was washing her hair. I said that she's not home. And they said, please leave our place and do not provoke premature death upon these people. So that's, you know, totally normal story. Very weird. Uh, I feel like there was a Twilight Zone epi that was very similar like a magical mm. place where the people don't age. What initially attracted me to covering this tale is just the first sentence. Rava says, initially, I would say there is no truth anywhere in the world. Yeah, very weird sentence. I tried to figure out more about the meaning of that sentence. I looked a little bit more in commentary. I think what he's saying is there's no place in the world where there isn't some amount of lying going on. Oh, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's that's... no place that's completely honest, basically. There used to be, and this asshole fucked it up. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think in the context, because he's saying like, oh, you know, there'll be like all these towns and cities where there's no truth and everyone's like a liar. It's all like Sodom and Gomorrah. And Rava says, well, aren't we already kind of like that? Come on, let's be honest. Interesting. I hope that doesn't take the wind out of your sails and you like had this whole idea that Rava was like a nihilistic <laughs> dude. No, I mean, that's what I, it's a, I have a different piece of sandpaper to bring in here. So what I initially thought before I heard that from you, which makes a lot of sense, was that Rava was saying, I used to interpret this verse instead of meaning that the truth will become like so many flocks and walk away. It means that there is no truth anywhere in the world in the Messianic age. Oh, so like Rava okay. is saying, oh, we just heard all these interpretations. This used to be my interpretation. And now here's this story. Oh. But your read makes a lot of sense I still, I'm a little perplexed, I guess, because the phrasing is sort of like, I used to say there's no truth anywhere in the world, and now I implicitly, like, I don't say that anymore, which maybe because this guy, Rav Tavut, has left the town of truth, like, there is truth in the world now, and Rav just sort of, Rava just sort of, like, knows the truth is out there, so to speak. And like, there's one place of pure honesty, so pure that any lie will result in immediate death. And so now he doesn't say it anymore. He's been given hope. It is a very strange story. Rav Tavut is referred to, I think, in one other place in Bava Metzia, 
in a story that is so inscrutable to me. I'm not able to make sense of it. But this is a very mysterious character. Is he mythological in the eyes of Rava? Or was this like a real person? Right. That's kind of neat. Is there a myth happening? Mm -hmm. Is Rav Tavut a myth for the rabbis in that time period as much as he is for us now? One thing I noted down is that the name of this town, Truth, is the Aramaic word kushta, which comes from the root kufshintet. It's the same root as keshet, the word for rainbow in Hebrew. And the word for truth in our verse from Isaiah is emet, the word for truth people are probably more familiar with, which comes from the same root as words like amen and imuna, related to faithfulness. This root for kushta means to be truthful, but its fundamental meaning is basically to shoot forth in a direct line like an arrow. That's where we get the meaning of rainbow, because it's like a bow, basically, a thing which shoots things directly forward. But it's interesting to me that this word is sort of inherently both straight and bizarrely not, like not just because it's a rainbow and therefore it's inherently gay, but also because it's referencing an object which creates a straight line of kinetic force only by virtue of a curve. Which feels a little bit like, I mean, this is, I'm like droshing the shit out of this word right now, but just like there's some tacit acknowledgement there that there is a scaffolding of things that are a little less than 100% truthful that allow the greater truth to emerge. Mm. It's a structure of curves that allows for the straight line of the arrow. Similarly, mm, no. <laughs> you're like, I enough, none of this hippy dippy bullshit nah, for me. Nah. Just because you have been irony poisoned. I have not been irony poisoned. Anyway, that was just an interesting drosh about the two different words for truth. What really, well, two sort of things. The first one that really was the thinker for me about this tale was it feels like a deviation from one of the things I really like about Judaism, and maybe it's not a deviation because this town is being presented as a contrast to the rest of the world, but I was just thinking about how absolute this town's morality is. Mm -hmm. It's like not even essentially a harmless lie can be tolerated. I was thinking about how my experience in Christianity growing up was that there is a similar sort of attitude that there's no um, wiggle room around sin. You're either sinning or you're not. You know, you're either doing good or not. And like, nothing is exempt from that. Whereas Judaism feels like, well, here are like 32 categories of action closer and further from sin and 64 categories of repayment you can make if you mess up any of them. Judaism is like, uh, uh, seems very invested in like detailing the anatomy of the gray area of good deeds, bad deeds, and everything in between. Yes, 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 Hava, yes. <laughs> and so this this tale is like, feels like a stark contrast to that attitude. Yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm on team Rava, how Rava used to be. <laughs> team like, there's no truth anywhere in the world, and that's probably okay, actually. Well, I don't know if Rava is for this uh, particular town, like uh, if he's into it or not. Right. I guess that's true. He's just relaying information. Right. He's facts. like, now I know it's out there. I wouldn't move there if I were you. Like zooming out, I was wondering like what these rabbis think. There's two things that came up when they're talking about the end of the world. One is, I think it's funny that they presumably want the Messiah to come. 
right? Mm-hmm. But all the things that will precede the Messiah coming are bad and are actively things that they're lighting. It reminds me a lot about this, do we really want the temple or do we kind of not want the temple conversation right. we had before? Right. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, I wanted to know, do these rabbis think that their current environment they're in is far away from these bad situations happening or like close right. or or they're in it they're in it right there when rava says oh we're already kind of in that situation when like there is no truth around us right does he actually think that they're in that stage and that they're in this pre-messianic uh time period or, or not mm-hmm. or is this just just them bullshitting about some way out in the future time right i will just say from what I know, historically, especially in the later generations of the Tanaim and also the generations of the Amoraim, Jewish apocalyptic literature had like a flourishing period. Everyone was about apocalyptic literature in that time, which tells me that it was on the brain. So I imagine there were some people who were basically like people who read the Left Behind series today who were like, oh my God, did you see this new, the Book of Enoch that just came out? Like, shit's going to get fucked up, man. We got to like get good with God. But it's also interesting that the majority of the Talmud seems to be written with the presumption that life is going to continue on as normal. And here's the way you should conduct business in all these very, very particular ways. That's the reason that none of this apocalyptic literature is canonical, is because the rabbis and the institutions connected to them from the Talmud basically rejected it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, of course, the Talmud has that viewpoint, because the Talmud is basically like, we we don't believe in all this cheap hooey. We only peddle, like, good, solid Talmud here. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be the general vibe. And also the general vibe of... A lot of Judaisms that currently exist, it's all very worldly, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the world. We're not in a very messianic moment, at least as far as I can tell. Well, and I won't speak for all Jews. Well, yeah, not that I've noticed, uh, with the exception of maybe like Chabad, which is sort of like focused on the messianic moment in a particular way. You know, I appreciate that a little bit. I respect the hustle. I just can't stay late at the party. You know, it's like at some (laughs) point, you know, they seem to go hard all the time. Right. And you don't want to go hard any of the time. I mean, I just want to be left alone to bake my, you know, things of vegetables in the oven. (laughs) No, you know, whatever. I mean, if the Messiah did come, I think I'd be kind of, I'd be excited, you know? (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. If the Messiah came, Michael would be excited. Don't worry. When Bernie won a couple of primaries, I was excited. So I know. I, I imagine. Well, we all, those were the days. And he's not, and he was not the Messiah. So if the Messiah came and won some primaries or whatever, <laughs> you know, I'm sure I would be into it. You're like, wow. But until then, I just can't match the energy of Chabad. I can't. All right. Few people can. Most of Chabad can't match the energy of Chabad. So yeah, that's our response to your question, dear listener, I guess the first layer summary I would say is this is a passage of the Talmud talking about apocalyptic times and how basically all the institutions of truth and wisdom will be converted into harlotry, harloterias. Secondarily, it has this really interesting anecdote about the town called Truth, and we don't really have any conclusive answers about Does Rava endorse the culture of this town? Does Rava now believe that there is truth somewhere in the world? 
what happened to Rav Tavut? Was he real? What is the rabbi's relationship to the apocalypse in general? All those questions we are leaving dumped in your lap, dear listeners. So enjoy that steaming pile of confusion. And that's our episode for this week. I hope you all enjoyed it. And listener, I hope this was enjoyable for you. Next week, our dearest Michael is going to be out of town. So we will not be putting out a regular episode next week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The week after that, we'll be back, and we're also going to record that bonus episode we told you about. So if you're not already a patron, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash you and sign up so you can hear that and all our other back catalog of patron episodes. But otherwise, we'll talk to you soon. We love you very much. And Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.